Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and I'm here today with my co-host Michelle. Hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. Um, and we've got a special guest today um, who's joining us in the studio whose name is also Michelle, but this is Michelle Carl. Um, hi Michelle. Hi Stephanie. Um, so Michelle Carl writes poetry and fiction and is the editor of Mascara. Her short story collection, Letters to Pessoa, won the UTS Glenda, Glenda Adams Award for New Writing in the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards. She's received prizes and fellowships from the Australia Council, the Copyright Agency, and an Australian Government Research Scholarship. Her poetry collections are The Accidental Cage, Vishwarupa, and The, the Herring Lass. She co-edited Contemporary Asian Australian Poets and is series editor for the Vagabond Press. She's written essays on poetics, race, and cultural diversity. Welcome, Michelle. <laughs> so Michelle, um, as I understand it, you made the tradition from you made the transition, sorry, from medicine to writing. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit about about that transition and how you ended up as the writer that you are today? Hi, Steph. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, so I, I, medicine was my first degree, um, and I studied for it was as you as you can as you know it's a fairly intensive kind of training and um uh yeah so I I um I did that and um that was in, in Australia and and um I, in my fourth year I came to the conclusion that I would not specialize because I could see that it wouldn't allow me time to be creative and being creative was was there the whole time I guess um and after I graduated um it was another couple of years um, that I was still learning, mm. as you do. It's quite a sort of a factually based discipline, and um, and and then I was working full time for about seven years, and I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful. It's a very privileged um, profession, I think, um, and uh, you know, it's wonderful to have that that contact with people and I'm interested in healing and health um, and then I can remember sort of just thinking that you know doing long hours and just thinking that there were other things in life <laughs> <laughs> that I really wanted to explore and so I, I went to part-time and then I can remember I was on holidays in Prague and it was such a beautiful city and I went for a walk I came back to my hotel and there was really nothing literary there around me or no particular reason that I no literary reason for being there or anything like that I wasn't part of a, an established writing community and a poem just came to me and that's when I kind of it it was a little sort of moment of illumination I wrote the poem and I just had this illumination that I was really interested in taking in, in, in also using my mind in, in sort of creative ways rather than just with um, with ideas. I think I wanted to to explore ideas more. So um, I started from that point. That was a that was really a turning point for me. And I started to write the poems and take it seriously. And so I moved into that. I was always writing fiction. Fiction's very hard to get published in, but I, it was always there. So I, I went into poetry because that was something that was open for me to go into and I could get my poems published in magazines and then build up a collection and I was doing that, but all the time I was writing fiction. And then um, in recent years um, I was doing very little 
um, medical practice um, and very and more recently I've stopped because so, to finish my research um, and and I really miss it you know I really I miss that discipline and it's quite sad for me sometimes actually when I <laughs> um, a news story or something comes on on television about medical things it I feel sad about that loss but I think that that's also part of um, it's part of the sacrifices that you do have to wear as a writer. There are lots of sacrifices along the way, but mm. I guess if you want to be good at anything, that's mm. just the yeah the way. But I do really miss it. I really love medicine. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so how does uh, I'm really interested in that? Like, how does that your your medical past, your past as a doctor, kind of feed into your your writing? Do you think it does? Is there a relationship there? Do you think? Yeah, I think in a way, in a sort of a strange way there is uh, like on one level some of my work does have medical direct medical sorts of um, uh, references images sometimes you know obviously experience of death of, of suffering chronic illness lots of like family disturbances and so forth is quite an insight into human life um, and what living is about and um so I guess that there are there are you there are some little um, uh, resonances in my work, but I think on a deeper level I'm interested in healing and writing can be a form of healing as well, a form of connection and communicating, and that's to me why I enjoy general practice as well because it, it is something that's about connecting with people and and it's a, there is it, unless people know that you actually. Um, care about them and care about their health you know when they know that there's actually a big difference in how they respond so there's a real art to actually being a good medical practitioner and I think there's been books and work written about that so I'm definitely I think in some ways writing as well you know there's that that sort of that tending to the work and that that attention that you give a work and also um, that intimacy within the work that I think there is in many, in some ways, there are kind of um, similarities between the processes, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I never thought of, of that, but that also, way, but it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but also as well, I guess the other thing about it is that, you know, I um, have enjoyed being able to use writing as something that can address social illness as well. Mm. So, you know, the idea of of dis-ease yeah. you know and and like um you know such as in my essays on race or um mental illness more recently I've been writing about that um <clears throat> yeah so I think and and that appeals to me that that um that kind of uh, it's not an immediate kind of remedy mm. but it's it's not no less important I think yeah. and I feel that I was I, re I could have kept practicing medicine, but it's good for me to. It's it's right. It seems right for me to move into and, and explore what I can do with writing, mm. because um, there are other people who can do what I was doing as a doctor. I would like to see what I can do with literature and the skills that I've and the knowledges that I've kind of um, been, you know, gaining over the years. Mm. Um, you know, I just listening to you talk about, you know, sort of um, Copenhagen, but also the different p 
parts of the world that that you've lived in, visited, travelled to, and sometimes through, um, you know, sort of having that position as, you know, sort of medical practitioner, I think, in Malaysia when you were there visiting um, in, in your oh, yeah. essay. Absolutely. Um, that, that definitely uh, sort of you fed into... In Indonesia. Yeah, in, in Indonesia mm. with the insight and the place that you could occupy because you wore the hat of, of medical practitioner, uh, you know, sort of at that, that point, mm. but also the, the way that um, I think your writing really sort of galvanises that notion of, of you know, sort of uh, a, a world in, in flux, you know, mm. and, and the way that... Um, you know, the, the underpinning so much of the way that we think about the world is who can move, who can't move around it, um, and also mm. sort of really the the way that um, we, there's a real tendency to, to to pin people to place and to particular identities that I, I think you're writing in many respects completely and utterly dispels. What what I mean? Would you would you think? That that's an element. I mean, particularly, say, letter to Pessoa, your poetry. Um, you know that that fabulous mixture that that, that you have of, of places and 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 people um, sort of jutting up against each other in ways that usually you say no to. Mm. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah. I, I. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned Indonesia. Um. Because yes, I, I I do think that just to sort of briefly say something a little bit more about medicine as well. The other thing that it taught me is a way of thinking. It's very um, it's very logical, and so I was able to use that in in my activism, in my literary activism. Not so much writing the writing as such, but in terms of say with with. Um, how we can address social um, dysfunctions and problems and, you know, the inequalities and injustice and some of the things that you're touching on with migration and refugees and so forth. How, how do we address these subjects in literature? I, I actually take... I, do, I, I think I do sort of take that kind of approach which is quite logical about, OK, well, you know... It's pragmatic. So, for example, when I did go to Indonesia, it was it, I didn't have particular knowledge of that field as such, and I didn't of refugees, and I hadn't been working in that field for a long time, and I didn't um, I didn't have necessary I didn't have contacts really. I just actually just thought it was just more that way of thinking that I take myself to a place and I'll go there and I'll see for myself because I was sick of the media representations of asylum seekers and, and and what was happening I wanted to see from I want I had to just go and see for myself and that's what I did and I basically waited till I got into a detention center in Indonesia and 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 it was yeah it was really helpful I didn't write about that experience as such that particular part actually going into the detention center it, it was it was a strange thing it was traumatic on one level but it was also a sense of relief because I was able to go to that truth and, and, and I was able to experience it. And I think um, as a writer, that's what we seek. We seek those places of, of, of finding. We were talking before about spaces, creating an open space, and I think you're right. I think in my, my writing is often a process of becoming 
um, rather than um, um, a, a, a structure of stable um, and cohesive formation of narratives. I'm, I used to think in, at one point that I couldn't write narrative because I was getting these um, sort of rejections but there are stories in Letter to Pessoa that are conventionally structured. Quite a few stories are conventionally structured, such as Duende and the Sadhu and um, Finding the Buddha. But I think I was also interested in, in, in sort of what happens when you, you just have the language and you let yourself go with the language and, and, and you're not bound or delimited by the kind of the horizontal the horizontal linearity of of um, of plot and character and themes, which underpin a very sort of closed kind of narrative and a very um, stable narrative. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to challenge myself in my writing, and and I and I think that's because I am an intersectional person. You know, I'm in between cultures. I'm in between. Um, races, <laughs> yes. um, and 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 also, I, I wanted to make. I wanted to to reach beyond the, the usual uh, divisions of where writers belong. You know, there's there's quite a. I, I agree with what you're saying. Is quite a sort of a crude um, distribution of or. Alignment of of certain writers to certain topics and subjects, yeah, which sure I, which I think you know is really sort of evident in 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 Letter to Pessoa, um, which is I think you know sort of uh, it's adventurous um, in in the sense that uh, the the heteronym um, is everywhere throughout it and there is a sense that um, you, you, I, I think that one of the things that tends to prevail is that idea that certain people should write about certain things and when that um, is broken and you certainly just um, write from this place of um, you know sort of I guess boundless possibility um, and and I think when I, I look at the the things that you've done with um, Borges or um, Pessoa, you know the Book of Disquiet, which is just uh, a, a magnificent book, uh, what 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 you see is 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 is, is just uh, is 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 a writer doing what a writer needs to do, which is write what they want to write, not what they should write. Um, and yet I, I think that one of the critical problems that you've encountered is writer is critics who are actually sort of um pigeonholing you in in sort of a way that either you can or you can't write what you're writing um would you like to talk a little bit about um some of the the, the receptions that you've had in um you know sort of in 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 reviews etc where on one hand um there is no doubt that you are um, a, a gifted writer with, you know, sort of the, the sort of critical acclaim that should in, in some sense um, really sort of um, in, in some sense prevent the sort of criticisms that you've encountered and yet haven't, which seems, you know, almost impossible to comprehend. 
Um, yeah, I think um, a lot of the critics that have criticised me heavily are white male critics. And um, to say something about that, I think um, the reason that they're doing it is mainly that they say they feel that what I have attempted is ambitious. And I would say that the reason for that is that I am going into a territory that is not expected of me, which is the aesthetic territory. That is claimed by um, European colonisation, that aesthetic territory. It, it wants to have this narrative over all the countries that it's colonised and all, all the people and all the, the people that it's colonised, all the stories that it's colonised. It's, it's not just countries. These are texts and stories that are being taken up and, and have been taken up historically. Um, and, and yeah, I think, um, and, yeah, I just think that that is why I've been criticised, um, that as a migrant, you know, you are actually, the very act of migration is in, by its own nature ambitious, you know, to actually go into another country and to forget your past and to start a new life, that is so ambitious for anyone to do. And so I think I don't think they should be so challenged by the ambition of, of, of the imagination. I think but, that's a lot to do with you being a woman as well. You know, ambition yeah. is coded as for a woman as bad. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, you know, uh, it's also very embedded in, um, in historical archives around um, people of mixed race. Um, particularly um, Anglo-Indians and that's where my research is well not just particularly I'm sure it's with all sorts of mixed race people but um, my research is focused on Anglo-Indians but that research has actually enabled me to see that what is manifest is not necessarily something of, 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 of the current phenomenon of you know the critical response to my work at the moment it's actually something that's very historically embedded and I think for that reason is because it's historically embedded. That is the exact reason why I um, like have just you know have, have have spoken about it. It's not in my nature to be someone so argumentative necessarily. You know, like I, it's not it's not we don't want this kind of conflict. But um, I think that you know that that we are. We can't help it. It's unavoidable. It's inevitable that we are in a politics of becoming, and that's what my writing does, and and also my critical work. It it it, it can't avoid being engaged with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And 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 I think mm -hmm. when looking at your your critical work, which appeared in 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 Southerly, the Sydney mm -hmm. Review of Books, um, Mascara, of course, um, and, and and numerous other places, uh, what you're definitely calling out is is those sorts of um, invisible. Um, you know, sort of those invisible um, gates that are preventing um, in, in, in very tangible ways, uh, you know, sort of that, that literary landscape of Australia from changing and moving out of, uh, you know, as you put it, a white with a capital W um, mm. sort of terrain and into a sort of that, 
that open place where anyone can write anything. Mm. Um, what what sort of um, factors do you see uh, affecting the you know the type of writing that we're seeing um, in 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 the mainstream? Yeah. So you know, as 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 you know, you know my my novel that I wrote was not accepted many years ago, some years ago, <laughs> and and um, that so it was an experience for me because initially I thought this is of course I thought it was about my writing. No, it's not about my writing. It's got nothing to do with the quality of your writing. If you get rejected, all you writers who are listening out there, <laughs> yeah. take note. It's not your writing. It's really about who's allowed to tell what story, and. Um, as I say, I find it quite crude. It's 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 all it's so transparent, you know. This this um, allocation, this alignment of um, what writers, you know, based on a range of factors: um, their race, their class, their education, their background, what stories they're allowed to tell. Ultimately, though, there is there is a a master narrative underpinning all of that, you know, and it's it's about it's about authorship, it's about who is authoring, what is authoring, this master narrative, because these other narratives, the political narrative that the migrants tell us from the western suburbs or something like that, or you know the the very um, aesthetic narratives that we can, we have from the white Australian elite, you know. Um, these, or the memoirs, or what have you, you know, from refugee memoirs and so forth. These, these, these stories, you know, that, what do they do? They ultimately embellish and support a Western narrative of superiority, and that's what it all comes down to at the end. It's superiority and positioning. Most of what's happening in, in our literature is purely about that. It's purely about positioning. And I ask myself, why? Why is it that critics are so... Um, hesitant and they see see good writing and why is it that publishers and agents have this problem as well and I think the reason is is comes down to very colonial um, um, uh, sort of thinking it's 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 settler colonial thinking repeating the narrative that if we if I don't if I don't reject this manuscript and accept that one if I don't award this prize to this person and not to that one, um, I will be the subject of ridicule. I will be isolated. You know, that's how colonialism works. It's basically based on superiority, superiority which is based on colour. And, in fact, you know, I've seen it all the time. It's not... It's... it's um, the, it, the, There are even shades of this, you know. There are shades and of this sort of colour... Um, uh, dynamic happening so that it's not just about whiteness but I think that you know whiteness is is kind of problematic as in as all descriptions of race are but we also need to probably recognize that that's just how it's going to be that it is difficult to talk about these things because on the one hand they will prompt reactionary react reactive responses um, in social media and um antagonisms but on the other hand you know that we do need to actually probe around this area in this field and talk about what's causing these these um these distributions and these um demarcations of, of groups of people 
Yeah, because it, it, it is very much that, that sort of um, sense that um, in moving into this, this sort of, um, and, and I like the way that you put it, into this, this sort of aesthetic territory and, and, and what I've, you know, sort of noted in, in, in for example, your style is, is, is one of the things that you bring together in, in you know, the space of a single paragraph um you, you know multiple um you know sort of multiple strands of subjects I'm, I'm thinking about the opening um paragraph which i don't know if it's still the opening paragraph to your novel where on one hand you've got the the, the walk through sydney the the jacaranda tree the asylum seeker and then the character that that all of this is being focalized through who is quite clearly not anglo-saxon and, and so you get this wonderful boundedness of, of a character who is capable of, of, of carrying all of those things around with her, of, of filtering, you know, sort of the jacaranda, the Sydney summer, the, you know, sort of the knowledge of this. And, and in that expansiveness, um, you sort of see a hope, don't you? I mean, like, I, I see a hope because what you see is you see things changing um, in, in ways that they don't if we continue to sort of presume that certain people can say, you know, sort of talk about this kind of a story um, and, and certain people. Because the, under, the overarching idea is that there is this, and I think this is where that sort of colonial mythology comes in, is the beneficence of the whiteness, you know, like the yeah. beneficence that, look, we can have refugee stories and we can have asylum seeker stories but God forbid, you know, we just have stories, yes. you know, like let's because we have not arrived at that place mm. where you just pick up the pen and you write and you don't have to be held accountable to that sort of, um, you know, that that racial history or that genealogy or, or that migrant history. You, we have not reached that point when you can pick up the pen and write. Um, mm. and, and that is that has to be. That has to that has to be, you know, sort of that to come, um, and and that the reader, you know, that we have a readership, you know, a we, you know, a we readership. That the first thing that um, happens is is that you open a book and you read, um, and 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 that's not happening because particularly with women, it's this need to pin them to their biography, um, in this way that diminishes them mm. and and that explains them oh well michelle carl can write this because she's got this background not because she's a fantastic writer and gifted and you know sort of is a writer but because she has this background and then the you the danger there is also that you read it purely in terms of like i'm going to figure out what your background is you know yeah. and it, it's just tethered to the analysis or the or the critique of the work is just tethered to how much does this reflect so-called reality rather than being kind of a treated and um, received as an aesthetic object in and of itself. Yeah, and it is that sort of old idea that, you know, sort of colonies don't have confidence in themselves as well. Cultural cringe. Yeah. Well, you know, they do yeah. not have the confidence mm. to say, well, something new is happening here and maybe it doesn't have a precedent. Maybe it doesn't have a literary precedent or maybe it's, you know, sort of self-consciously, um, you know, sort of, taking hell you know you've got to take on Borges you know you've you've got to take on Pessoa you've got to take those names if the call is there mm. you know like the very notion that that, that 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 you ought to sort of say oh not me I can't 
um, is is wrongheaded, isn't it? Uh, you know, and and so to 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 pick up a character and or to to to, to write the letter, um, you know, to to to, to play with uh, the the style of Borges, to you know, all of those things uh, are about recognizing that everything's up for grabs. You know, like yeah. it, it is up for grabs, and you know, to to, to sort of, I think, be to, you know, to, to sort of be critiqued on you know, sort of on the level of you know, sort of te- technique or you know, sort of the success of the enterprise is one thing, but to, to, to be sort of critiqued on a, on a sort of an existential basis mm-hmm. um, is a completely other thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, there's so many things that you've said, like about the. Um, the, the, the emphasis on who you are rather than the actual text. That's something I'd love to see change in Australian literature, like much more emphasis on the text because I think we're losing sight of the text. Less people are reading, even people in the literary realm. They're so busy yeah. <laughs> with um, all the things, all the discourse, you know. So um, discourse, you know, creates um, also the master narrative and discourse, you know, enables certain people to tell certain stories. But it also takes our attention away from the text. And we we, um, we can kind of be aware of that, I think, and, and come back to the text. And as, as for myself as a writer, you know, if I was to choose, look, it would be writing that I would be doing. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing criticism um, when I did I did at one point do an arts degree and I didn't even do honours because I was so keen to just go out and do to write and that and so that's my choice you know but the way I see it is that um, the criticism critical work is a separate enterprise it's a separate thing and it's necessary I see it now as necessary for a while there I was resisting it because it wasn't what I wanted to do but now that I see on a deep level that discourse and textuality are so um, are so um, closely connected, and that discourse is actually not only is it the thing that delimits textuality, but it's also the thing that can liberate textuality. It, and almost... so that is what I'm looking at: discursive empowerment. I think a lot of emphasis is on being on the empowerment of migrant narratives, you know, the empowerment of migrants. But I believe that that will truly come um, in a much more nuanced way when migrants and people of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, however you want to call them, people of colour, whatever, there's a whole range of catacristic, you know, (laughs) determinants you can use there. But however you want to call them, that that we have discursive empowerment. And so that's kind of like, I, I do see that as separate to my actual creative work. But I have to say, I just love writing. And I love, when I'm writing, um, that's the best place for me. You know, it's just, it's, 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 that's something that doesn't hurt. It doesn't get tiring. It doesn't, yeah, I can just, that's what I love to do. And I, um, but, you know, at the same time, some of these dynamics, it's really good that we have this chance to talk about it. And I'm so grateful because, to be quite honest, they're really tough. Mm-hmm. It's really tough to spend, you know, a large part of your life to um, forego so much, you know, and then to find that a critic, you know, slams your work that you know and everybody else knows it doesn't deserve it. Um 
that's it's still tough and it, it's tough in the sense of like what it actually does to your voice you know and part of, I just want to say something about the heteronym you know that the thing about the heteronym is not just the multiple narrative the thing about it is that it is connected to um something outside of oneself and 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 that's the thing I do think that some of these narratives the narratives of more complex um, uh, identities and more complex, which, which the more, I suppose, intersectional you are, the more you are, the story that you have to tell is going to be complex um, and not not able to be reduced to something simple. That kind of narrative, it needs to be connected to something that is readily identifiable and readily known readily known within the canon that's what I came to the conclusion in my in my um, attempts to get my story published I just realized that yeah look I could have written this story for example the um, Nabokov story I could have just written it as a narrative or the um, Virginia Woolf story I it makes it it makes it more interesting. I, d- I do disagree with critics who say that it's I just did it to be ambitious or I'm just name you know mentioning names to make my work embellish my work. No, there's actually a rationale behind it. But what I'm actually doing is I'm breaking through the mask that covers me and silences me, the master narrative, and I'm making a claim and pushing through that that which has grafted over my voice to actually break through and 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 speak to the canon and and I think not necessarily speaking back but participating it's participatory yeah again I just don't think that those kinds of critiques are, are lobbied at white men no absolutely They're, not and that's seen as no. like a, a marker of no. their of their ambition is is a good thing is a positive it's a you know it's yeah. a Absolutely, you know, it's something that's that you're supposed to do as a writer. I, don't, I just don't think those the criticisms that you're talking about would ever be lobbied at a white man. No, and uh, there are two critiques of my uh, one of my poetry book, The Herring Lass, and um, one of the Letter to Pessoa, which actually went so far as to so both by different critics actually went so far as to compare me to a canonical writer. So one was the the Herring Lass was, com- I was critiqued and um, described as um, in comparison to Sylvia Plath. And with the, the letter to Pessoa, I was critiqued and described in a different journal by a different critic and compared to Borges. In both cases, what they did is they established that, that, that pa- comparison and then they just brought me down to, to say that, well, I'm not, not, not as good. So detached me from that, from, from that mm. association. Um, I would like to say that that would never happen mm. if I was white and I would challenge anyone who's listening to this podcast or any critic to show me a single Australian writer mm. who's a white writer whose work has been compared to uh, someone within the canon, mm. established canon and then brought down. Um, that kind of... I'm not saying that to be angry or to be... I, I'm saying it because I'm a logical person. I'm saying it because I, I would like readers and listeners to consider what mm. is actually happening to, um, to, what, to the power of discourse. Mm. This is what discourse can do. 
and I would like to you know I just I think it's just interesting to consider because mm. those reviews are the frames aren't they through which so many people will either choose to read or not read your work and and we were talking about this before it's it's a lazy form of reviewing because it's 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 not starting out by what you know the book or the poems or or whatever it is does yes. on its own terms it's actually moving backwards and saying well it's like but it's not um, and, and, and to me, that, that's actually just a poorly structured review mm. um, in, 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 in many respects. Well, it's starting um, from like looking at what's not, what, what is perceived to be not there or not right rather than assessing the work actually for what it is. Absolutely. And, and I mean, how do you mm. feel that, um, because obviously you've been uh, sort of managing editor of Mascara mm. now, um, for must be almost ten, a ten yeah, a decade. Do you feel as though mascara is 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 making a mark? Um, is can you feel that there is um, you know sort of? Do you feel as though inroads are being made? Yes, I, I definitely think we have definitely broken some ground and um, contributed to. Some of the changes. What, what are sort of the? Because you know, just for people who don't know, mm. um, what what is the ethos of of mascara? Yeah. So we have published um, migrant writing, diverse writers, um, and um, uh, we've also published uh, translations. And we've, but we've particularly. Um, focused on um, the discursive elements, so reviews and essays about um, books written by um, uh, culturally and linguistically diverse people, also like Aboriginal writers as well. Um, And um, we have also, I think, created a space um, that's outside of institutions, outside of academia, um, but also um, it's sort of between industry, the publishing industry and academia, which is predominantly white. I mean, if we look at the structures, this is what structural racism is. Mm-hmm. The, the, the structures are white. The establishment is white. So um, we've been able to sort of like have uh, really good co- collaborations with early career researchers who are not white um, and also white. White Australians as well, who who you know have contributed in enriching the journal, and I think that's exciting because I think sometimes you know it's great to 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 do um, uh, monographs, write monographs and research and everything, but it also can be extremely helpful to write critical essays and reviews and build that part of the journal up. Um, really what Mascara is doing and has done, I think it is one of the best journals <laughs> in the literary landscape. Yeah. Um, for an online journal, we publish fiction. We've got the Deborah Cass Prize running. We have quite an active social media um, presence as well. And we have, I've been theorising intersectionality and narrative mediation and we use that in social media and using even just using the hashtag for example is very empowering because it means that you know on the one hand we have like the um the the social media archives which are digitally preserved but we also have um the fact that you know if anyone's searching running a search can the hashtag will bring up all the sites where interceptionality is mentioned so i think we're actually breaking down what in a way, or we're, we're sort of 
presenting what we can do with the resources available to us. We're actually presenting um, uh, new research subjects or, or you know new new approaches to in um, empowering ourselves discursively through intersectionality. Because I, I mean, it, it's a, it's it's a tough it's 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 a tough thing to maintain, isn't it? I yeah, mean, and and you certainly, uh, yeah. I know, sort of really had to struggle in, yeah. in order to keep mascara going in many yes. respects. Um, mm. What 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 sort of things do you think have changed or or, or, or sort of contributed to to that? Um, mm. You know, because it, it it seems like it's a fairly self evident, you know, sort of. Dis- journal requiring support you know and and funding and all of those sorts of things Mm. um so what what do you think's been happening um in in that space yes um yes it's definitely been really the journal has been in crisis in terms of resources for several years um it's really difficult um but um, on the other hand, I just want to mention that we have a lot of support in the sense of, um, you know, uh, just the collaborative um, support from writers and thinkers in Australia and researchers and also from other countries as well. Um, and that that's actually symbolically quite powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, look, there's no doubt it's difficult um, and um, I, I really do hope that things will improve uh, because we could do so much more, of course, you know, um, and um, and I think there's a need, you know, there's really a need. There are so many talented um, young researchers who could contribute and, and if we were able to sort of assisting that and and we're I'm being approached quite a bit as well by other organizations who want to partner with mascara um so I think that it's exciting and I do think that you know our partnership with sweatshop at the moment and writers victoria is also um really exciting and I'm also going to be speaking at this gatekeeping in Australian culture symposium at the University of Adelaide which you know I think that's also exciting to have that kind of you know um forum and and discussion that's you know and it does feel like there's a sort of a a, a sort of a real desire to uh, and just from the title the provocations i mean the fact that this um sort of series of of um, (laughs) provocations you're gonna go provoke people i love it (laughs) yeah you you know i mean to to me that's (laughs) one of the most hopeful things that that i've uh, you know that that i've come across uh is is this idea that um we're going to provoke the sleeping beast you know and 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 see what happens so i mean can you tell us a little bit about this this conference and and its its aims and what you might be wanting to to say there oh Um, yeah so it's it's going to be um in april it's it's at the university of adelaide and there's it's going to be like um i think a day of a symposium um with with papers on gatekeeping and um whiteness and um uh, censorship and self-censorship and um, yeah, um, new pluralisms and things like that. Um, and I, uh, there will be uh, Professor Sneshna Ganyu, 
who is one of Australia has been one of Australia's leading multicultural theorists. I'm very excited that she's going to be there because um, she was really instrumental in my thinking, actually, at a very mm. early stage of mascara. Um, I think she's a brilliant thinker, and yeah, she, she, she's also very empowering. She sh- she shows a way through. Discourse is not something to the side. It's really, you know, I think it, it helps us see through um, um, a way through these these problematic areas. You know, um, and uh, there's also going to be uh, Professor Mark Davis, who's written a book on um, gatekeeping, and um, Brian Castro, the author, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'll be speaking. Um, we're going to talk about hopefully um, be talk, talking about intersectionality and narrative mediation um, to theorise these and they present write an essay or something like that. Um, so I think it will be really exciting just to, um, to, yeah, I think just it's important that we aren't silenced at the end of the day. Like it's, it's important that we keep pushing through, um, yeah, the mask and the, and the, the way that it's, it's, it, it really is, becomes somatic. It becomes visceral, what it does to you, um, it, it can feel like you're choking. It can feel like, um, like, you know, you can feel palpitations. When 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 we found out that we weren't funded in December, um, I had a terrible month. It was really a physical thing, you know. It was like um, we cannot separate aesthetic merit from cultural capital all the time. We, at, the, at some point in time, we actually have to look at how... We have to look at race and the fact that structural racism is shaping this country's um, literary culture and its literary resources, and we have to consider that. You know, We have to take that seriously and we have to challenge that mm-hmm. as a community. So I'm really thrilled that the people in Adelaide at the Kutsi Centre, you know, I think Kutsi Centre for um, Creative Practice... <laughs> I'm really thrilled that they want to take up this challenge and, you know, and um, and that there are so many other, you know, wonderful colleagues from the University of Sydney, like yourself, and you know, so many young researchers who are just really um, helpful. So they're, they're the positive things. So I'm, I'm hoping that, that there's going to be a ways forward. I'm sure there are, you know. Well, it's you... only going to enrich, enrich <laughs> Australian literary culture, isn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, look, I think I think the essential thing is, you know, the th- we mustn't stop talking. We mm. really mustn't because that's how, that's how, like, basically these processes work. They work by profoundly silencing us. You know, I, I'm just listening and I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm hoping, Michelle, that when you come back, uh, you, you'll come and, and do a podcast so that we can, uh, you know, sort of, um, I, I think, in a loudspeaker, uh, you know, sort of reiterate and iterate and reiterate. Provoke um, our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I like, um, I like it. I love, that, I love that idea of, like, not giving a, a, like almost a speech but, like, giving a provocation. I think that's exactly what the Australian literary landscape kind of needs and it is such a valuable kind of thing to, to, to put out there. So, yeah, I agree. Come back, please. Come, please, 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 yeah. Come yeah. back and, and, and share. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. We have completely run out of time, but I'm just entranced. I could listen to you talk for 
all day. So please come back. (laughs) So thank you so much, Michelle, for coming in. Thanks, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Michelles. Um, So this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. You can find Michelle at The Herring Lass at Twitter, um, or you can look her up. Um, I think you've got a website, don't you? Yeah, it's a gorgeous website. MichelleCarl.com. Yes, yes. That's or you can find Michelle through Mascara Literary Journal. Um, so please go and look at all her writing and buy all her books. That would be amazing. <laughs> and we will definitely have Michelle back. We'll see you again in a week, guys. Bye. <laughs>